0: From humble beginnings to competing and dancing in shows across the globe, one individual's journey inspired and brought hope to so many others. With the aim of bringing awareness and safety to the plight of so many in a community often stigmatized, abused and isolated, one individual did all they could to share a narrative of equality, respect and love, whilst uplifting the impoverished community they came from. And with bitter irony, it was this same community that would lead to their tragic and untimely demise, right in the middle of a month that is dedicated to raising awareness for the queer community. This is the case of Kerwin Vortek. Hello and welcome to Murder and Mayhem, a South African true crime podcast hosted by me, Bella Monsoon. I'm a mental health professional, so Murder and Mayhem, a South African true crime podcast, explores real life crimes occurring within South Africa from a psychological viewpoint. Every week, a new case is examined, and we delve headfirst into the motives that drive people to do what they do. Join me weekly on a journey into the minds behind the madness as we traverse murder, mayhem, and much more. I want to preface this episode by also saying that this month, Pride Month, Happy Pride Month, I will also only be covering LGBTQI plus victim related crimes in order to pay honor to their memories. However, with content covering the topics and issues that I will be delving into, my content is pretty much always not monetized. That may not be the biggest deal, however, the issue is that the content reach is thus limited. I thus want to implore you all today and ask something that I haven't in my last 40 videos. If you feel moved by any of the cases and episodes that I will be discussing this month, Please tag a friend, share the link and help to get these victims' narratives and stories out there. With your help, we can hopefully beat the algorithm. I may not personally belong to the community and thus not understand the struggles that they face on a daily basis, but I am an ally and I will do what I can. So that being said, let's get into it. Before I start this episode, I just want to state that Curvin was a genderqueer person and used the they-them pronouns. Therefore, throughout this episode, I will be using these pronouns when discussing Curvin and their life. The only time this may differ is when I am directly quoting another person who may use different pronouns. Regardless of your own personal beliefs, I deeply implore you to please respect the narrative that is being told. On the 10th of August 1991, Kirvin Fortein was born in Makassar. Makassar is a small town in Cape Town between Somerset West and Strand. Makassar is also a predominantly coloured community, with workers historically being in the fishing and boat making industry. Like some other areas within the Cape, Makassar has a higher than average rate of gangsterism and youth delinquency. But also, like these other areas, it is made up of loving families, striving to do the best and make a life for their children. And the Four were one such family. Curvin was the eldest of five brothers. Growing up, coming to terms with Kirvin's sexuality was something that their mother, a deeply religious woman, struggled with. She was initially unhappy because she reported that she knew what Curvin was getting up to. She had then decided to approach her church, and after discussing it, they had told her, Accept your child. He is your child. You must love him. From that point on, the two of them developed a strong bond, and no matter how far Kirvin went or how much they would go on to achieve, they still lived happily at home with Charlotte, their mother, in the years to come. From early years, dance was always in Kirvin's blood, And they were extremely talented. Kirvin once said, I dance to express myself in ways words fail to do. Someone once told me, Choreography is writing stories on the body and that is what I strive to do in my work. In 2002, at the tender age of 11 years old, they joined the Field Band Foundation in Makassar. The Field Band Foundation creates opportunities for the development and self-empowerment of young South Africans through participation in music, dance and active citizenship projects. After matriculating, Kervin had auditioned for the University of Cape Town's School of Dance and was accepted. With no formal training, mind you, just pure talent. They then went on to graduate from the University of Cape Town with a dance teacher's diploma. They furthered their studies and received a Bachelor of Music Honours in choreography. And soon, when Kervin was nearing their mid-twenties, they went on to reside between the Netherlands and South Africa. Kirvin then ended up dancing for a Dutch dance company. It was also here in the Netherlands that they attended and received a Bachelor of Dance from the Kodarts University for the Arts in Rotterdam, Netherlands. No matter how far they went though, they never forgot those back home. And in South Africa, Kirvin started a non-profit foundation, the Kirvin Fortein Foundation, for which they were the founder and artistic director. The organisation used dance as a tool to educate and create social awareness. The work of the foundation was focused on the youth and young aspiring dancers from the marginalised areas of South Africa, with programmes implemented in Makassar, East London, Mtata, George, Bloemfontein and other areas in the greater Cape region. The youth from these disadvantaged areas were given professional training and experience by working with some of the best teachers in the fields of dance, choreography and fitness. Besides their work giving back to the community, Curvin was also a prominent figure within the queer community and really made a massive impact in local society creating lasting change. They also hosted Cape Town's very first Vogue Ball, in observance of World AIDS Day. Kirvin also went on to found the House of Le Cap, South Africa and Africa's first ballroom house. So at this point, you may be asking yourself, well, Bella, what exactly is a ballroom house anyway? A ballroom, it's not just about the voguing and the runway and the looks, it's about family. It's about family. Mm. That is the most important. The balls is where we have fun. Yeah. The balls is like our Oscars, our Grammys, exactly. you know, where we want to go out and we want to be fabulous. We want to show the world that we can be anything, you know, in a safe space where mm. we can just, you know, express ourselves in whatever way we do. A ballroom house is a place of safety and security for minority groups of queer, gay and trans people. A member of House of Le Cap had said, I believed in Fortane's vision because I knew they only wanted to make it a better place. For queer people to be ourselves and to be treated like we're human beings in a world where we are looked at differently. These houses operate more like families and are led by house mothers and fathers who groom and guide their children for the world. Kervin was the house mother of House of Le Cap. And within every house, there's also the voguing, the runway, and the looks, of course. But most importantly, it gives individuals a place to feel safe and to express themselves through the events that are thrown, like the balls or the functions. Kirvin used to say, It's not about the voguing. Voguing is just the vehicle. It's about acknowledging our individuality and being proud of our differences across race, Gender and sexuality. Since starting House of Le Cap during the lockdown and those uncertain times, they managed to raise 10,000 rand for HIV AIDS awareness, food vouchers for several local NGOs, and made sure that the trans community got treatment and medication during the lockdown period. But Kerwin's work didn't end there. In 2019, Kervin received a ministerial recommendation at the Western Cape Cultural Awards for outstanding contribution to preservation and promotion of an indigenous art form. This was after choreographing *Die Dansender Tal, the story of Omar Katrina Esau. This was an important cultural piece, as this unique story was told in the words of the last fluent speaker of an ancient language. 85 years old, living on the outskirts of the Kalahari Desert. In preparing for the production, Kerwin visited the Kalahari to research the ancient dance formats of the region. Together with guidance from the San community and experts, a memorable piece combining a traditional but contemporary score with a beautifully choreographed, spiritually-influenced dance highlighted the narrative of this remarkable and fascinating woman. In May of 2020, Kirvin went on to commemorate the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia, By hosting a virtual ball on Instagram. In this way, they provided a safe space for queer people to be together and express themselves even when the world was in such isolating and uncertain times. In every aspect of their life, they served to aid the plight of the queer community, creating awareness and a safe space to exist. Kirvin was a testament to how, even through humble beginnings, hard work and talent could result in success. And they had so much to offer the world, until everything changed in June of 2020. It was here that Kirvin's path would cross with a cruel and callous individual. A girl, just in her teens. She was originally from the area around Solari's Pass, an impoverished area roughly around 1.9 square kilometres with a small population. Although the summit of this pass provides one of the most awe-inspiring backdrops in the Western Cape, the village is more rural and not really frequented at all. The girl had been sent from Solari's Pass village to Makassar as she had been a problem child. What exactly her issues were, we do not know. But what we do know is that on the 13th of June, at a house party in Makassar, she would commit a heinous crime. According to onlookers and friends at the party, she had been MIA with an unknown guy for a short period of time. When she had returned, everyone began to tease her, presumably asking her where she had been or something along those lines. Kirvin was one of those people. It's also important to mention that her and Kirvin had actually fought the previous week after she had made some allegedly homophobic comments to them. And this night in particular, she was not going to hold back. This night, however, her words would not be the only violent act she engaged in. She had left the confrontation, she had gone off to another part of the house and it was here that she presumably found the knife and then returned to Kirvin. It was at this point that she had then stabbed Kirvin twice in the chest. Chaos then ensued and an ambulance was called but unfortunately Kirvin had passed away in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Kervin's father, Stephen Clarsen, later said, He died in my arms on Friday night. When I came there, it was sad for me to see my son lying there and there was nothing I could do for him. My heart was broken when I took him in my arms. He died in my arms. She was arrested shortly after. She was only 14 years old at the time. Now, you may be wondering to yourself why I haven't mentioned who this girl is or further information about her or even her name. Well, the reason for that is because she is a minor and thus her identity is protected by the law. After being arrested, she was also processed according to the Child Justice Act. In South Africa, the Child Justice Act 75 of 2008 establishes a criminal justice system for child accused, separate from the criminal justice system, which continues to apply for adult accused in South Africa. The act aims to keep children out of detention and away from the formal criminal justice system, mainly through diversion. This girl went on to appear in the Somerset Regional Court. During her court appearance, proceedings were held in camera and only close family members were allowed into the court. Kirvin's mother, Charlotte Fortain, who was 50 years old at the time, was present with their entire family. She had later said, This child will get punishment and return back home to her family, but Mike Curven will never come back. He is gone forever. Charlotte had sat opposite the killer's mother in court, who was also in tears, and during those moments, she made peace with her. She later said she did this because she had her own health to consider. Upon seeing the girl, the killer, for the first time, Charlotte had also remarked that she had a pretty face. The girl pleaded guilty to a charge of murder. She was then sentenced in terms of Section 76 of the Child Justice Act to compulsory residence at Heis Friedelast Child and Youth Care Centre until the age of 21 years old. She was also deemed unfit to possess a firearm in the future. And two years later, still a minor, this is where she presumably still remains. Effectively, once released, she would have spent around seven years in a juvenile reformative center. And then she will effectively be back in society, free to do what she pleases. And on the other side of everything, Kervin's funeral took place on the 21st of June at the PPK Church in Makassar. Charlotte had said on the day, Ons is chabriak, Dit is baie vremee. Dit is bitter and dit is seer. Hy was a baie gehoorzame kind. Ons was baie close gewees. Hy was baie aan say. Wat se paar nie vir me gedoen het nie, het hij vir me gedoen. Sien jy nou? In English, we are broken, it is a lot for me. It is bitter and it is painful. He was an obedient child, we were very close. He was at my side a lot. He took care of me. What his father did not do for me, he did. Do you see? Although the numbers that could attend the funeral were limited due to the protocols in place at the time, people shared their tributes and kind words from all corners of the world to celebrate an extraordinary life taken too soon. A speaker at the memorial service captured the essence of Kirvin's legacy by saying, Vision with action changes the world. And that was our beloved Kervin. The question always remains though, what could possibly drive a 14-year-old girl to commit such a heinous crime? Well, like many other perpetrators I discuss, the issues are often rooted within the development and environment of the child, with the possibility of psychological issues having a role to play. So let's look at the environmental factor, as that is a defining factor that has a major influence on all growth and development. Before I get into it though, I have an interesting fact for you. South Africa was the first country to protect gay rights in our constitution, thus offering protection from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. But it's evident that we have a long way to go to ensure that these rights are actually upheld, I mean, just have a look at the recent hate crime statistics in the country. Studies and research highlight the disturbing treatment that many individuals belonging to the LGBTQI plus community experience at some point or the other during their lives, particularly within South Africa. For many reasons, I will not be mentioning any specific homophobic slurs or hate speech, I will, however, include some links to various studies that have been conducted should you wish to learn more. The verbal abuse experienced by many in the queer community is also highly prevalent within the school environment, where nearly 70% of learners during a study by the Love Not Hate campaign stated that they have experienced verbal insults. But... It doesn't stop at just verbal violence. The belief and attitudes towards those belonging to the queer community often translate into physical actions and other forms of violence, from property damage to physical and sexual assault. Many of the perpetrators of such violence are often lacking in understanding and education around sexual orientation and gender diversity. During surveys and interviews in South African schools, more than a few learners were quoted as fearing exposure to homosexual peers as they held the belief that homosexuality was contagious. Here is what one learner had said. Listen, if you are around more the whole day, if you grow up in an environment of more you're going to be a more because you think to yourself, this is the way I should be. Within more rural schools and areas, these pupils belonging to the queer community are also linked to evil spirits. So it's evident that certain cultural beliefs as well as geographical locations have an effect on the belief system of the developing mind. But why is this hatred and lack of understanding starting so very early? Developmental psychology tells us that the values, beliefs and attitudes of children may be greatly shaped by the views and beliefs of their parents or guardians, community and social environment. And often, if children are not educated at home about sexuality and other related issues, they rely on learning this information from school and their peers. And obviously, education from a school would be the more preferred option of the two. Schools help to shape the values and belief systems of future adults. But many schools do not provide a comprehensive curriculum. According to the Department of Basic Education, the DBE, since the year 2000, there has been a comprehensive sexuality education. However, only one lesson in the syllabus actually focuses on concepts of gender, self and sexual identity. But never fear, there is hope abound. Because the importance of these concepts being taught has finally been recognised, and there are changes underway in terms of education within the classroom. In 2019, an evaluation team found that LGBTQI individuals were only referenced twice across 38 textbooks in 9 subjects. Yes, I said twice. And this brought about the evident need to update and revise current curriculum. For example, currently the concept of family was represented as being between a man and woman, whereas there are many different dynamics that exist within society and life today. A department spokesperson went on to say, There are also people who prefer not to call themselves a man or woman, or are intersex or transgender. It's there in real life. Textbooks cannot pretend they are not there. We need to correctly reflect that, because if we don't, and young people find that in society, there will be confusion. This acknowledgement also led to the Western Cape Department of Education drafting what it claims to be South Africa's first gender identity and sexual orientation guidelines in a bid to make schools more inclusive and supportive for LGBTQI learners. If the draft is passed, the department will then be able to train school learners, management, teachers and governmental bodies on the principles of gender and sexual diversity. Some of these guidelines include unisex bathrooms, dress code adjustments and LGBTQI plus support. However, there has been some backlash from parents about the proposed changes in curriculum. And it's not only in South Africa. Some parents refuse to have their children attend classes where they may be exposed to lessons about same-sex relationships and gender diversity. Many believe it will negatively influence their children or encourage them to follow that type of lifestyle. Because sexual orientation or gender identity is a choice, right? Whilst the controversy and debates continue though, parts of the country are making changes and they must be commended on that. In some schools in the Western Cape, transgender pupils are allowed to select the uniform that most aligns with their gender identity. In 2019, a transgender teen moved to an all girls high school in the southern suburbs of Cape Town, making history in South Africa. I'm specifically omitting the name of the school. But whilst drafts are waiting to be passed, guidelines to be implemented and changes to be made. The children currently in school are lacking a very important and necessary sphere of education because even if they do not find themselves belonging to the LGBTQI plus community, they may not learn understanding and tolerance of different gender identities and sexual orientations. And those who are actually part of the community will most likely continue to feel intense confusion and fear. Their existence pushed back into the proverbial closet. And those long-term effects are absolutely heartbreaking. Kirvin was no stranger to that kind of treatment, and he had once said, I have been judged, criticized, mocked, sabotaged, bullied, and even received death threats, for being who I am and the work that I do. Those who live their truth fearlessly, like Kirvin did, often face ridicule and potentially the risk of physical, sexual or emotional violence. So the issue starts both at schools and of course within the home and immediate community environment. Because let's face it, the lessons that we learn at home are often the ones that we carry throughout our lives. Within the home environment, teaching children non-tolerance and hatred to those who do not conform to societal norms has a knock-on effect. Children grow up believing that anyone who does not fit the traditional roles of men and women in society are lesser than and the other. That may mean that they should be ignored, abused, or in even more extreme cases, Dealt with. And the effects of this behavior on the lives of the queer community are far reaching. After dealing with much of the hate encountered within a school environment, anecdotal reports suggest that many of these students drop out in high numbers, and often there are increased levels of homelessness, drug, and alcohol abuse witnessed here too. Much of this hatred stems from misunderstanding combined with the ingrained societal notion of compulsory heterosexuality. I briefly discussed this in a recent episode, namely the case of Raymond Bass. But basically, I'm referring to the notion that boys are expected to adhere to what is known as masculine behavior, and females are required to be feminine. Those who do not fit the mold or gender norms are often outcast. And especially within males, condemned as being homosexual. Yeah, because somehow not liking rugby has something to do with your sexual orientation. And being homosexual is somehow a slur? Yeah, great logic. And although many individuals are changing and developing new understandings, there are still very many people who see the world in a very black and white way, holding steadfast to the beliefs of the past. One such man is Pastor Oscar Bochart, an openly anti-gay pastor. After the murder of Kirvin had made the media, but before further details were released, he had penned in a Facebook post, which I will quote directly now. I need to know, what is a 28 man doing with a 14-year-old girl, early morning, even late at night? I see some media houses trying to make this a hate crime. He was allegedly in an argument with the same girl a week earlier, because the girl passed some anti-homosexual remarks. Something very sinister about this killing. People pointing fingers at a 14-year-old. My question again, why was a 14-year-old girl with a 28-year-old homosexual man in the early morning? I won't be surprised if young girl was the real victim here. Yeah, I wish I was making this stuff up. And you know what? This wasn't even the first time that disturbing, callous and homophobic comments and speculations spewed from this man's mouth. In October of 2019, he was served with court papers for violating the terms of his homophobic hate speech conviction, a conviction he received in May of 2018, and for which he was given a 30-day jail sentence, which was suspended for five years. Bohart went on to say, Even if they lock me up, I will come out and preach the same message. They might as well leave me there. And you know what? I think I agree with him on that one. I won't give his warped narrative much attention or relate his views, as personally I don't deem them worthy of featuring in my content. However, he would state that the LGBTQ community should be dealt with like how they do in Nigeria. So, for those of you who are not aware... As per HumanDignityTrust.org, Nigeria criminalizes same-sex sexual activity between men and between women. The gender expression of trans people is also criminalized. Sentences include a maximum penalty of death by stoning. Yep, you heard me correctly. As if the law itself was not disturbing enough, they resort to stoning in this day and age. Pastor Bohart also went on to proudly associate himself with another hate preacher, Stephen Anderson, an American man who is banned from entering over 30 countries, including South Africa, because of his extremist hate speech. So yeah, a great influential bunch right there. And it is often in this way that a certain belief system within the home, coupled with certain religious or community beliefs, lead to internal conflict being faced by the potential perpetrators. When you add in factors like poverty and a lack of strong or healthy family relationships in a child that is on the precipice of such great change in their life, It's just a recipe for disaster. Within such a child who is developing their sense of self and the world, these beliefs can lead to much turmoil and angst. And of course, massive moral dilemmas. And these often turn violent, especially when faced with those who are unapologetically their true selves. Those who do not conform to an antiquated belief system, who do not fade into the darkness or remain invisible. Those who embrace all of themselves and own their right to exist, love and enjoy life. Those like Kirvin Fortein. Kirvin travelled the world and inspired so many with their talent, their art and their activism for queer rights. They never forgot their roots and always aided to empower and uplift the community they came from. And it is the saddest irony that the community that they gave so much back to was the very same community that they prematurely and tragically lost their life in. Now, more than ever, we as a community need to not only fight against those who threaten to harm and destroy the concept of unity, but also the collective mindset of a country, of the world. A mindset that continues to allow violence and hatred to prosper. Thank you for allowing Kirvin's voice to be heard and their narrative to be told today. I would like to end this episode with something that Kirvin posted to their social media account just 12 days before their life was so tragically taken. I have been judged, criticized, mocked, sabotaged, bullied and even received death threats for being who I am and the work that I do. Today we celebrate International World Pride Month and today I would like to say it again. I will always and forever fight for the visibility and voice of the marginalised within mainstream, whether in corporate, civil, commercial or the art world. Too many POC, queer people, poor people and people from the Cape Flats and every other rural community have died for me to live restricted because I'm considered the other. Their deaths will never be in vain whilst I'm around. Today, we remember those who paved the way for us and most importantly, why. For free LGBTQ legal and hate crime support and services, please contact the Love Not Hate Legal Clinic. They are based in Pretoria and operate from Monday to Friday, 9 o'clock to half 3. You can reach them on 012-430-3272 and via email report at lovenothate.org.za. Their website is www.lovenothate.org.za. Until next week, stay safe, stay blessed, and I implore you to please stay the amazing human beings that I know each and every single one of you are. Bye!